Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Available now at CritAcademy.com. Our brand new book, Unearth Tips and Tricks, Volume 1. Featuring all of your favorite monster variants, character concepts, encounters, magical items, and so much more. Grab your copy today for only $9.95. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. And now, from the Crit Academy Studios, sponsored by our generous patrons, here's the show. Take it away, boys! Welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I am your guest, Matthew Gravelin. I'm your co-host, Brandon. And I'm your other co-host, Ian. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither is our D&D games. <laughs> The okay. irony is every Wednesday it is for children because I run it for <laughs> my 10-year-olds. Um, all right. So uh, thanks for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. That's right. Your roles are like a paladin who breaks his tenets. Why did I not pay rent? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, and this is why we only have two listeners. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we got a really great show for you guys today, but just like always, we like to start the show off on a high note, and on our show, every week we give away three amazing uh, adventures, compliments of our sponsors. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned, compliments of Goblin Stone. Goblin Stone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products and give every fan a chance to get published. Be sure to head over to www.goblinstone.com or you can check out our fellowship link on our website, www.critacademy.com. So, Matthew, who's our winner today? Percy Low 83 Good enough. Um, congratulations to Percy uh, Percy Low eighty three. If you enjoy the adventure, please let Goblin Stone know. Leave him a review. Let him know what you like, what you didn't like, and help him improve his product moving forward. We got a really great show for you guys today. Um, our, we have a question from Mike G in regards to long lived characters, which is something we've discovered uh, many times on the show. Our main topic today is we have special guest uh, Matthew Gravelin um, talking about creating Paladin Oaths, which is super exciting. And of course, we have our final segment where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. But before all that, we have In the Realm, where we spend a few minutes talking about what's going on in our lives. Matt, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, Yeah, I've been playing... um tabletop role-playing games uh since i was i don't know teenager started with 
3.5 D&D and MechWarrior. And then I fell out of it. I got really into video games and, you know, went to college, moved a lot. I was playing video games. I didn't have a consistent group. Uh, and it wasn't until about, I'd say maybe about five years ago, I got back into tabletop games and tabletop role-playing games. And that's when I discovered you, you could create content for this. You could write content and people might look at that and possibly even give you dollars for it if it's good enough. And uh, I've been putting content out there on DMs Guild for about two years now, I think, roughly. Um, my current uh, series that I'm working on is these subclass creation guides. And the first one that came out was the Paladins. Nick. That's really dope. <laughs> uh, what was your most memorable D&D moment? Um, so, <laughs> so I, I had a home game that I played not too long ago and one of my players came to me after the first session and he said, I want to do something really different. I want to do something really out of the box. And I said, all right, what, what did you have in mind? He's like, I want to play a bear. <laughs> said, okay. And it was, it was not a magic bear, not a were bear, not a polymorphed bear, a literal, actual, regular bear. I just had that uh, avatar moment. <laughs> yeah, so I hacked together a class for him that was basically just the barbarian and the fighter mashed together with a little ranger thrown in. Um, but after the fact, I went back and actually created a real bear class um, that I, I eventually put up on DMs Guild. And it turned into two races, two sub-races, two classes, and three backgrounds. It's a 14-page document. <laughs> all dope. about playing bears in D&D. So. Nice. That is really cool. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Um, I, I, could, it, could it talk? I mean... <laughs> no, that was the thing. Okay. I, it was literal... <laughs> regular bear anybody who could talk to beasts could talk to the bear oh that's but, cool but it worked exactly the way the move or that uh, particular ability says it's it's limited it's simple ideas you, you're not having a conversation so by and large this player couldn't really communicate at all and can only communicate in any way to the ranger or druid that's dope that was that was a meme a few years back uh, someone had said hey, hey is it possible to play a bear and then someone actually started making a a uh uh, like a play format of how that would go down. Like, so yeah, you got a bear, but he ends up being some magic class where he is the governor of this town, and everyone thinks that he's a person. What the fuck? <laughs> and he yeah, yeah, he, he had, grumbles like a, really like a bear. Charisma score and deception <laughs> abilities. Uh, wag his little bear tail. Um, so, um, so you talked about all this experience you have as uh, as a player and uh, as a as a DM. Um, is there any moment where you uh, failed as a DM or a player? And, and is there anything, did, what did you learn from that, that moment? Yeah. Uh, and this is actually what led me to doing a lot of the writing um, that I do now, which is more conceptual and more, um, you know, suggestion based instead of linear is I used to be a very on the rails DM. You know, I wrote a thing, and we were going to read every word of it, and we were going to do it exactly the way I wrote it. And if we didn't do that, then I would force the players to do it. And in my opinion, that is just empirically wrong. No one's going to have fun with that game. So I learned to loosen up, you know, get into improv a little bit more, be more comfortable not knowing things. Uh, and there's there's more players at the table than there are DMs. So yep. by and large, statistically speaking, the players will have more good ideas than I will and to entertain those. So I stopped 
writing as much. You know, I used to write 14 pages of concrete content with dialogue and characters and locations. And if we missed, if they took a left instead of a right, seven pages would just be useless. You know, I think that was summed up perfectly in the uh, webcomic Darth and Droids, where they basically retell the Star Wars movies as as a D&D game. And like Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the Clone Wars, when they're playing that that shapeshifter bounty hunter, they they change it to like, uh, okay, you're about to uh, as the NPC for help, but then you see a laser dot as a sniper per- fires at you. Okay, I grab the NPC, use him as a meat shield. <laughs> <laughs> hey, damn, why does he look so mad? Oh, I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact he's now tossing in five pages of detailed character backstory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one of the one of the things that I learned to do is, you know, you know, as the DM, you know that NPC was important. Nobody else knows that NPC was important yet. So turns out he was the bodyguard. The guy you need to talk to is standing next to him or it's the bartender in disguise or it's, you know, that's right. the kind of thing that I had to learn to do was not get so fixated on the fact that my carefully crafted story got derailed was just how do I hit these plot points knowing up front that the players are going to mess up my story. Right. right. Period. And that you, will happen. You really have to uh, get ready for the unexpected though, because you never quite know when a character is going to build a outhouse of granite. <laughs> <laughs> so Matthew, you, you you ran into this 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 carefully you had this carefully chiseled out plot and it was getting ruined. Mm-hmm. So what techniques did you end up developing, or, or how did you overcome you know that challenge? Because I I imagine that could be kind of infuriating. Oh, hundred um, percent. Yeah, I mean, imagine being an author of a book and you know your reader, someone gets it and reads the first two chapters and then literally tears out the rest, and it's just <laughs> like you. That was that was my my art, my craft. I did that, and you don't care. So, but <laughs> you have to think about these. These are cooperative games. These are games that you tell a story together. And if the DM is the only one at the story at the table telling a story or progressing anything, then you're gonna have conflict. It's gonna feel weird. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, you know, okay, if my 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 NPC died, and I wanted him to tell a story, eh, there's another NPC. They don't know, or. Um, you know, I created this whole like murder mystery in a, in a big fancy manner. And for some reason they were just fixated on this candelabra and like, Oh, it's gotta be. And I'm like, there's, I had nothing like that. Wasn't it <laughs> there? Like there's a secret entrance behind this bookcase. Well, now the candelabra opens it. Like it wasn't part of the plan, but just go with it. Your players know what's interesting to them. Let, let what they're interested in be right. And you can figure out how to work in your stuff also so you're meeting in the middle it's not necessarily throw out all my work it's uh, okay maybe the secret entrance isn't in the library anymore it's in the kitchen same story you're you're gonna end up in the same basement they don't need to know like the actual architecture of the building for it to make sense absolutely and we all know that the butler did it anyway (laughs) (laughs) fucking butler um so uh, awesome. So you've given us a really uh, lot of great insight, um, and I want to thank you for sharing uh, your telling us a little bit about yourself. So I think that'll do it for In the Realm. Brandon, if they'd like to visit other realms, how can they do so? They can visit our website at CritAcademy.com where they can click this link that will take them to Audible, where you can get a 30-day free Audible trial and a free book along with it. Hell yeah. I love Audible. Woohoo! I'm not even just saying that because it's a, a sponsorship, but because I fucking love Audible. <laughs> I love my book, man. I get sad when I run out before my my credit comes back. Uh, all right, so <laughs> moving on to moving on to our next segment, we have our Crit Nation. Let's talk about blank segment where we answer your questions. Brandon, would you like to take that question? Yes, this question comes from Mike G. And I would shit myself if I go to my dad and say, "Hey, did you uh, did you send her show a question? Are you secret playing D&D without us?" What? 
<laughs> my father's name was Mike. Oh, oh yeah, it is Mike. It was <laughs> Mike Gray. Huh? Michael Gray. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, let's see. He says, um, one of my players wants to be a level one elf scholar that is 300-ish years old and has vast knowledge, research, experience, and schooling. Uh, how do you handle character backstories that potentially give the player metagaming capabilities? Matthew, uh, we've actually had quite uh, diff- some discussions on this. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Um, my immediate impression when I read this question was... Yeah, great. You're 300 years old and you have all this schooling, but it's about like culinary science or something. Like, <laughs> fine. Like you, you went, you went to school. That's great. But you know, okay, you study geology. So when we go into the dwarven fortress or get into this cave, you'll have a lot to shine. But if we go to a city, then that doesn't matter. Like we go to a city that's made entirely out of wood and, and shingles or whatever. Like, so I think it's. <laughs> The, the level one elf scholar can't know everything about everything, I guess, would be the way to put it. But even if he does, there's people who go to school and still struggle with stuff. That doesn't mean he's perfect. It just means he, like, read some books. You know, you could make it a uh, the differentiation between a theoretical education and a practical knowledge of application. So even if you did go to school for you know, weaponry or something like, great, maybe you know how weapons are forged. You know all the science about metalworking, but you've never swung a sword in 300 years. So the first time you do, it's going to be really wild. <laughs> I got a degree in poultry science with a focus in deep frying. I mean, yeah, you can go to school forever, but it's like saying uh, you can go to school to be a surgeon and mm-hmm. you got perfect grades and everything, but you fail your first appendix removal. Because <laughs> so, yeah. you're nervous. You got to do those hours. Actually, that might, be, that might be the interesting hook here is like he went to elf school, which is like super long. Now he's trying to get his practical hours in. So he's going to go out and try <laughs> these things. And he has to log all of his battles and he has to log all of his skill rolls. So he's and a he has to take intern. them back to get credit to get his license. Yeah. You know, you know, it could be kind of like how in the Wonder Woman movie, how Diana had a lot of book knowledge, but she had no street smarts because she was stuck on an island for centuries. <laughs> that is a yeah. that is a great analogy, <laughs> or a great uh, yeah, great analogy. I like that. Um, and Edward says Edward Tate says you can't you can't learn common sense. Um, so I would like to give a more mechanical answer. First of all, I agree with all of you. Um, in our in our show, we've talked about how. When you pick a race that's that has a long life, don't be afraid to make them long lived and how to better role play that stuff. I think one of the examples we used in our Honor Tips and Tricks book and our is the you know, the, 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 the old sage who remembers things the way they were and so he references shit that's no longer there or whatever. But um, from a more mechanical standpoint, if my player wanted to do this, I would say take proficiency in history. Okay. Make sure your skills line up with the, what you want. Or and then just take the sage background. The yeah. sage background gives you a feature that says you spent years learning the lore of the multiverse, blah 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 blah. You scoured manuscripts, studied scrolls, all that stuff, and then it gives you the feature researcher says when you attempt to learn or recall a piece of lore, if you don't know the information, you know whom you can go to and where you can find it. Yep. There it is. Mike, just because your player has studied for all this per what these guys just said, doesn't mean he remembers it all, right? Nope. Not, he probably doesn't have an eidetic or photographic memory, so he still needs to go to notes and stuff. So I would I would leverage that piece of information, and I would encourage him to build towards those couple mechanics and to make sure he takes training in history because uh, or any other intelligence bound uh, skill set. So yeah, I do encourage to make sure that like you're saying the skill sets match the concept. Yeah, and 
fucking i've been studying forever but i got like an eight intelligence yeah <laughs> i can't remember it 300 years yeah. i can't remember what i read or you have an eight intelligence but but your skills <laughs> boost your knowledge in those particular oh, areas there you go. that's a good way to do it <laughs> expertise right. a negative one modifier but i took expertise in history right i got i got uh, a sweet eating i mean i gotta disagree with tate though they, the, the, you can't learn common sense. I'm pretty sure if you stick your hand in a fire, you're not going to do it again. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen some people. <laughs> Ow! Oh, God. Ooh, what do I do again? Ow! Ooh, what do I do again? Best three out of five. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, think that, I think that'll do it for our Let's yep. Talk About Blank segment. Actually, right. I do want to make one more note. It says that his big concern is how do you handle character backstories that potentially gives a character metagaming abilities? In my opinion, metagaming is not the dirty word that a lot of people make it out to be. You dirty metagamer. Don't get me started. <laughs> on, a scale, on a scale of 1 <laughs> to 35. Start a war. <laughs> Shots fired. Yep. But, but, but my point, though, is like there always is going to be some knowledge that players will know that will influence how they play no matter what they do in some way, shape, or form. And, but don't be afraid of that, though. Just yeah, be... I agree. Well, that's neat what Sam says. Uh, your intelligence score isn't what it used to be. As you age, the intelligence score goes down some. But wisdom can go up some to compensate. I feel like that's the old school aging rules in earlier editions. Yeah, I don't think th- that's not a thing in Five E, Matt. No. Matthew, 5e. do you know if that's a thing in Five E? I don't. Not no. I don't. I don't think that's like part of the book. I think they've scrubbed out a lot of those kind of more. It's not thing Five E. I mean, who has characters that you know? Uh, an elf would have to live hundreds more years. Who, you know, right. not many people even play that <laughs> yeah. campaign. And right. Actually, I think a three hundred year old elf would be considered what middle age. I have no idea. <laughs> My 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 three hundred years of elf study doesn't exist, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. how, how could you imagine a character like that with intelligence of like one, but a wisdom of twenty? Yeah, I think we had that as a question uh, for me and Ryan, and we had a really tough time answering it. And I don't want to get into that because that, <laughs> yeah. that was that was a hard, that was a long discussion that I had to cut like a half hour discussion down to like five minutes. It just means you're book smart, but you have a crap ton of common sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, or problem solving skills. So I think that'll do it for our Let's Talk About Blank segment. Uh, thank you, Mike, uh, for your submission. We hope we answered your question. If we didn't, please send a letter to our complaint department at criticademy at gmail.com with a $5 check attached to it, and we'll make sure we read it. All right. Now on to the meat and potatoes of the show. Do, do we get gravy? I fucking hate Would you. Would you like God, gravy? So. It depends on what kind of gravy you want. Chicken. What the f- Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> no, it's Only K- one gra- country gravy. No, KFC gravy. Yeah, Matt, we're sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Cricket. <laughs> where, where the show's made up and fuck everything else. Uh, all right, so um, uh, I'm really excited for our main topic today. Um, I spent a lot of time going through DMs Guild, and I, I'm good friends with a lot of the top content creators. We actually just released our... I just we just released our first uh, product ourselves, our Unearthed Tips and Tricks, which is kind of a collection of our thoughts and ideas and discussions we've had on the show, but... Um, Creating a Paladin Oath, I stumbled across this uh, because I was looking for different archetypes and stuff to evaluate. Because, like, uh, mm-hmm. recently we just did or we ju- Matthew Mercer's uh, uh, content right now. So, when I stumbled across this, I was really excited because this is developing a, a character archetype in, mm-hmm. in, in class is hard enough. Um, doing it in a really good way, in a balanced way, is even harder. And that's mm-hmm. what made this drop out or jump out at me is you really did a fantastic job. Um, so I wanted to bring as much attention to this as I could, which we only have two listeners, so I don't know how much more money that's going to get you. But <laughs> um, get we... both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully both of them. Um, so the, the title is uh, Create a Paladin Oath. Am I correct? 
Uh, yeah, I, I just called it create an, create an oath with hyphens. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of the, the series is create a blank where the blank is mm-hmm. uh, a subclass, an archetype. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, we will have a link in our show notes and on our website when this episode goes live. So, Matthew, can you, can you give us a, a short overview of, of this product and really um, a little more detail on how it uh, came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there was actually somebody I follow on Twitter was just saying that they wanted to roll up a new Paladin and they were sick of all the other options and they just wanted somebody to give them, you know, uh, a suggestion, a recommendation for exactly what you were looking for, which was a pre-written subclass, an archetype for a Paladin Mm -hmm. that they could run. And me being the classic overthinker that I am said, I'll do you one better. I will create a guide that will tell you how to create the Paladin Oath. So you could come in with that whatever crazy idea you wanted to, run it through this guide, and at the other end come out with hopefully what is a balanced and somehow standardized Paladin Oath. Neat. And you did a fantastic job. Thank you. Um, so we're going to kind of basically step through this as we go with our questioning. Um, I don't know if you have a copy open for yourself. You probably don't need it because you probably get, you made it all. But <laughs> um, so um, at, you know, walking through this, there's many things that make the um, the pa- the paladin stand out among other characters. You know, clerics have to worship a deity. Um, you know, uh, barbarians have their own sort of uh, clan kind of um, culture. And then you've got the paladin that has to have oaths and tenets that they follow. So can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about um, what goes into creating an oath and uh, yeah. starting with, you know, the name and the, the tenets maybe? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think I wrote this in there. You know, you can come up with the name later, obviously, that, you know, it's just something cool to cap it all off. But you really should get the tenets down um, because every these are the like, the three to four things like the actual practical oaths that the paladin is taking when they follow this oath so this can be thing like you know you will not harm uh, a creature unprovoked like you'll never draw first blood or you can't attack a good creature like you can only attack evil creatures like those are very vanilla mechanical type of tenets but um, they can also be a little more vague and a little more open to interpretation, um, which allows different players to follow the same oath and yet have different play styles. So it could say, you know, you have to uphold justice. That means a lot of different things to a lot of different people in a lot of different places, but that could be the part of the oath. So once you've kind of figured out, okay, I want my paladin oath to be lawful. I want my paladin oath to be holy retribution. I want my paladin oath to be the worship of evil deities or whatever and and sowing chaos. You you kind of need to rationalize those into those tenets. I, I think you don't have to do a lot of the narrative stuff when you're creating a subclass if you're just doing it for yourself to play. Mm-hmm. But I will say that even if you're just doing it for yourself, you need to write these tenets. Because if you're not really following them, then you're not really playing a paladin. And you're not really playing the paladin in the spirit that the paladin was created. So highly recommend doing the tenets, even if it's just some bullet points. You know, just write a few things that your paladin has to do. Neat. Um, so you actually, um, do you have any examples you can give us that aren't part of like the traditional PH? I know there's a couple uh, mm-hmm. actually in this uh, yeah. source, this, this supplement you've created. Yeah, there's two. So there's two examples in the guide. So if you buy my guide, it's pay what you want on DMs Guild. 
in addition to all the steps to create your own oath, there are two oaths in it that I create step by step. So each section has just the creation elements for this. So there's the, um, I believe there's Oath of the Stars. I'm going to, I do have to open mine up because I don't remember the names. Yeah, there's Oath of Stars and Oath of Penance. So Oath of Stars was, I wanted this to be, I wanted this to play on kind of divination and seeing the future. And, and in this context, I wanted to be more like, well, what is, what is your deity have planned? Like what is the divine plan or what is fate if you will? Um, So there's a lot of things bringing in, uh, you know, the divinations, the prophecies, that kind of stuff. Um, And the other one is Oath of Penance. And this is more of a, you know, this is a guy who is kind of a wandering judge of sorts and it's not necessarily his job to punish people. It's his job to make sure people punish themselves. So <laughs> uh, it's, it's all about atonement. You know, the, the, the followers of this, of this deity are supposed to atone themselves. They're supposed to make the right necessary apologies, both verbal and physical when they sin this paladin oath is supposed to be more about enforcing that and if they don't want to do their self-punishment then this guy has to step in and say okay well punishment needs to happen and i will do it if i have to basically it's an oath that basically you're guilt tripping people got <laughs> a little bit yeah and it, it even has you know there's um uh, i think it's part of the channel divinity i wrote if you heal somebody or there's a feature in here. If you heal somebody that you just punished or made punish, they punish themselves, there's a bonus there. So it isn't about killing. It's not about permanence damage. It's just, you have to atone. But if you do that, then I'm going to grant you bonuses. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to come in and give you the light to, to heal you back up. <laughs> kind of reminded me of uh, uh fucking ghost rider a little bit with like, isn't that similar to like there, a yeah. there? Where he's mm-hmm. making them see all the wrongs that they've done and and guilt. And hopefully, and I, I think it like paralyzes them or something, or does it kill them? I don't remember. I think it often drives them insane. Uh, well, don't be a douche and <laughs> don't be a dick, and it won't be a problem. Right. <laughs> because they he he basically forces you to live every single evil thing you've done to other people. Oh, man, from I... the from their perspective. Oh man, there needs to be a D and D equivalent of that. Oh, wish. <laughs> I found a better use for wish. <laughs> Who needs gold? <laughs> you give um, me forty hail Bahamuts and whip yourself with this vlog a few times. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this, t- to me, the 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 tenants are are super important because, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you break your tenants, you could it's considered breaking your oath and pushing you into a break oath breaker. Is that am I incorrect in that? Yeah, that's that's the way I read it. Was it's not an immediate thing. So if you break your tenants, it's the way I kind of understand it is it's up to the DM to, to decide what happens in that period. Um, but basically as written is you break your tenants and then you have to start making amends for that. You have to work to correct that. And as long as you're in that period of correction, you maintain all of your powers. Uh, now the DM could opt to say, okay, while you're atoning for breaking your tenant, you have limited or removed powers, Ooh. but it's not, technically part of the rules as written um you don't you only become an oath breaker if you break your tenants and make no effort to correct Ah. so it's not just 
I broke a tenant one time instantly. I'm an oathbreaker. There's a pad there. There's a lot of ambiguity for the player and the DM to work something. I like out. the gradual disappearing of your abilities. Like you're give as the DM, mm-hmm. you say, okay, um, you broke your tenant, so you're gonna have half as many spell slots for a while until you atone for it. <laughs> Great. That's what I like. Yeah, I would. I would definitely add some house rules in there to. You know, the amount of power you have is inversely proportionate to the amount of, you know, tenants you are breaking. Great. I'm actually thinking of Kaladin from the second. uh... (laughs) Yes, that's that's where I was going with that. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. No, don't want to give no spoilers, but there's uh, uh, in the. one of Brendan Sanderson's books, Stormbreaker Archives. I was trying not Stormlight to say the Archives. exact name, but uh, because <laughs> I didn't want to give a spoiler. But um, one of the characters in it actually is uh, has these oaths that they take, and when they they start to ignore those oaths or those responsibilities, or sidestep them, or sidestep or go around them and justify them in another way, he end, they end up beginning to lose some of their their power um, for a little while, which is really interesting. So Translation, when, when the voice in your head is telling you you are screwing up, you might want to listen to that voice. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, um, I could take an awesome uh, flavor for this, is that, because I'm thinking of, uh, um, it's one of the party members from the Doom movie, and also Nightcrawler from X-Men. There's, we don't talk about the Doom movie. <laughs> I don't care, I thought it was good. But, <laughs> You're wrong. Fuck you. The except, only good part of that movie is when it ended, dude. Except for the lack of hell. That that was kind of disappointing. But, you um, mean the whole premise of Doom? <laughs> would you shut up? No. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Uh, that's okay, Sam. You know, we all got work to do. But, um... In both Doom and in X-Men, uh, the two characters, uh... To... Do you what? need help? Do yeah, need I, I can't think you? of the term I'm looking for. Uh, whenever they're trying to repent, ma- repent, make it right again. You're welcome, Sam. Yes. Redeem. Yes. Redeem. Oh, Redeem themselves. That's better. Oh, um, what the fuck? They scar themselves with oh, patterns around their body. Oh, is that why he's so messed up in the in the first uh, the X Men movie? Uh, Nightcrawler yeah. has all those designs on him because yeah. they're scars that he put on himself as uh, penance to, for all the bad things that he's done. Huh. Great. Nothing. Nothing about that. That one dude from the second season of uh, Castlevania. That's dope. No spoilers. I haven't seen the second season. It's, it's <laughs> fucking amazing. If you haven't watched the Castlevania Netflix season, you need to. It's fucking great. Yeah, because in, in Doom, that guy, he, he they're trying to be quiet, and he drops something and goes, God damn it. He takes his knife out, and he scrapes a, a cross on his arm, and his body's just covered in crosses. He says, whenever I take the Lord's name in vain, I... I'm like, oh, oh, Jesus. Good God. Wow. Uh, anyways. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, what can you tell us about the uh, oath spells and choices? Yeah, this is one. Um, so I, I posted these guys. I have this guide and two more, um, and I posted them on uh, Reddit and and uh, on Earth Arcana to get some feedback from them. And one of the things that um, it came up specifically in the Warlock guide, but people put a lot of thought into these um, for mechanical balancing, and I don't as much. I don't. I just don't put that much time into it you know these are a very small number of spells that you're going to use in a very small number of situations and i don't want to spend the majority of my time kind of min maxing all of those spells so i try and make them thematic more than anything sure and i try and make sure that they don't inherently break the game but i'm not going to go check if i put in you know speak to dead at 
you know, in the spell choices. I'm not going to go through and see how does Speak with Dead interact with literally every spell <laughs> yeah. that is available to the Paladin at that level and start considering multi-class. Like, I'm not going to do that. You right. know, you're making homebrew. If it comes up at the table that it breaks, fix it, you know? So I'm just not going to spend a lot of time up front. You know, I could spend hours going through you know, the player's handbook and Xanathar's and all of the content on DMs Guild and all the content on Unearth Arcana and all the other stuff floating out there and try and get like the perfect spell list. Mm -hmm. But we have lives. It's 10, <laughs> literally, it's 10 spells and you have to get to what level 17 to access them all. Like it's yeah. not gonna, it's not that big. It's, right. it's really not. Most people so, only get like the first four, I think, maybe, maybe six. Yeah, so that's my personal take on that is if you want to spend a ton of time crafting that spell list, go nuts. Me, I make that list thematic first, and then I double check to make sure it's not immediately breaking anything, and then if something breaks at the table, I fix it. And, but, and do you also have to check if there are already paladin spells in the first place? Or? So with the paladin, you don't. Um, uh, with the warlock, you're adding net new spells, so right. you do want to make sure they're not on the warlock list. With the paladin one, these are ones that I believe are always prepared and don't count against your list of prepared. Mm -hmm. okay. So even if they're paladin spells, they don't, they're not full value, quote-unquote, because they had access to them anyway as a right. paladin, but they are kind of always prepared. So there's still some value there. And that's why I asked that question. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, uh, kind of uh, to that point, have you had anybody respond um, to you through your DMs Guild account saying, hey, I found that this is blatantly broken or anything like that yet? Uh, not in specifics. Again, when I, I posted the Warlock Guide on Reddit, there were some people that had you know those comments, and they're valid. They're right. They're one hundred percent valid concerns, but the it's just like, what's the payoff here? I'm going to spend hours trying to min max these spells for the one percent chance that this spell is going to interact with the other spell right. that could break the whole game. Just fix it at the table. It's so like that's going to take four seconds to be for your DM to be like, no, nope, we're not going to do that because that breaks the whole game. Right. Versus spending four extra hours in subclass creation. So that again, that's just my personal preference. You you know you you get as deep as you want into the spells uh, when you're creating a subclass. <laughs> so you know. As we as we work our way through the paladin, you know everyone knows mm -hmm. that the the innate power of all paladins is their channel divinity. That mm -hmm. is one of their signature babies that really lets them stand out. Them and the cleric as well. But <laughs> God damn it, the, the, abil the ability to call on uh, powers of your god to create great effects on the mortal realm. <laughs> so, what kind of designing uh, goes into such a, a legendary feature? Um. Yeah, these these were ones where I I wanted to make sure these again felt they needed to feel very thematic. Like you said, they're a cornerstone of being a paladin, so it's important that they make sense. Um, and what I did was I kind of listed out, you know, I went through all the different channel divinities and said, here's the basic ones. There's you know turning enemies, uh, you know whether they be unholy or undead or demonic or fey or whatever it is that you know you have some group of targets that you can turn away from you um there's inflicting conditions like um you can stun people or silence people or petrify people like that's a another common one um adding bonuses healing protection and some of them even do damage so all that said is general divinity can really do anything again make it thematic to what your paladin is if your paladin is 
about making, you know, forcing people to atone. That's why one was kind of like, um, you know, forcing them to do a thing, commanding them to do a thing. And the other was healing them afterwards. Uh, you know, being able to take somebody who has atoned and, and shown their uh, divine uh, kind of obligation and rewarding them. So are they the most powerful thing in the world? No, but they're very thematic. Uh, you do want them to be powerful because they are limited usages. Um, but to balance them, you need to make sure you get more channel divinities in higher levels. So you don't want to use... Uh, you don't want to make it too powerful. It's a weird one because you have access to it for 20 levels, basically. Right. Uh, well, if you get the subclass at third. You have access to it forever, and it needs to be balanced across all of those levels, and those are the hard ones. I, I actually find balancing the early level features to be the hardest. Okay, so kind of in that, that same vein, um, because you're, you're trying to identify whether it needs to be protection or rest, uh, restoration or, mm -hmm. or, or inflicting damage, um, what kind of guide or template do you give to make sure that mm -hmm. the person attempts to, uh, to, to balance that so it isn't blatantly overpowered? Is that another thing just left that, hey, if you feel yeah. like what you make is broken? Yeah. Balance is, an, again, balance is a hard one because you could write a subclass, but you're never going to truly know if it's balanced until you play it. Right. And so again, if this is just for your table, take your best guess with what you're used to seeing. You know, if you've played a lot of paladins before and you know, they do a lot of D eight damage, make it a D eight. And if it's supposed to be a, you know, once in a while thing, make it a D 10 or two D eight or something right. like that. Kind of use your, your experience there as your initial guide to setting those. And then, again, you go to the table and you're like, whoa, I'm killing everything. Everything is literally dying when I look at them. So maybe I'll, uh, you know, change these things. I mean, you're doing your job. <laughs> I do see yeah, that so, you, do get a, get, you do give a lot of recommendations in, the, in, your, in your presentation yep. about uh, some of the, 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 the values that should be tied to yeah, those. So that's yeah. really good. Yeah, and those are, again, just based off of my personal experience and right. also the numbers that I saw when I looked at all of the currently available official Paladin oaths. Um, you know, they, there was a lot of overlap between all of them. Actually the, the paladin, uh, so I, I've, I've written paladins, I've written barbarians, I've written warlocks, and I'm starting to work on monks out Ooh. of all of those paladins are the most standardized subclass I've worked with. They, really? they, yeah, they actually have a very, which is why I was able to crack out this guide and how it, have it be like, so fleshed out was all of the paladin that channel divinities like fit into some buckets. All of the first feature fit into buckets, and it was really standardized. You know, the second feature is almost always an aura. The last feature is almost always uh, a transformation with uh, you know, about, about a minute duration. So it was easy to kind of come in here and just take all those data points, give ranges and suggestions, and put them in here. Uh, and even, again, because this one was so standardized, there's actually forms in here to say when you're writing this feature write these words and replace you know mad lib style these few fill in the blanks and suddenly you've written a channel divinity huh that actually makes sense yeah they are pretty standard and actually shows quite a bit in some of your your later uh designs for the 7th 15th and 20th level because mm -hmm. i went back and looked at them and you're right that's they're they're basically yep. very specific um styles of features that those are, are they are across all the different builds are just different ways of accomplishing the same thing yeah exactly um and when you 
Bill of Pal- Paladin, like, subclass. Do you, when you decide to focus on combat, punishment, or physical prowess, like, what helps you decide that? And what recommendations do you give for designing such oaths? Um, yeah, so my personal recommendation is I find it more interesting when paladins are not focused on physical fighting because they're so set up for it. Like, they have armor, they have weapon training, they hit really hard. And yeah, they do. Yeah, so creating a paladin oath where the tenants are, you can't ever throw the first punch Dope. is hilarious to me. It's just, it's a fun thing to play. So that's that's what I like to do. But if you want to have, uh, again, a paladin that is more out of the box, that is more focused on combat and physical prowess, then totally. There are examples in all of the official subclasses where some feature in almost all of them is damaging. You know, even right. the, even the paladin that's the healer class still has some oomph to them. So if you just collected all those things and put them into all of these features in Channel Divinity, then yeah, maybe you're just a you know missile wielding, you know hammer throwing <laughs> paladin, and that's that's all you do. If that's fun more. for you, you know, then by all means go explore <laughs> that that subclass. Um, again, my recommendation would be to give yourself some outs. You know, if you want the bulk of it to be combat, great. But maybe one of the features is not combat and one of the channel divinities is not combat. And uh, with, you know, to go back to the spell choices, I always try and make sure that if I'm putting two things on the list, they're not both combat spells. So at that level, it's not like, oh, well, this level gives me these two spells and they're both combat and I'm trying not to do combat or vice versa. That's basically a wasted level for right. people using that subclass. And this is a subclass you're writing yourself. So don't don't give yourself bad levels. You know, go yeah. go nuts. Do do right. whatever's fun for you. I could definitely see something like uh let's say somebody decides to make like Oath of the Inquisitor or something like that. Somebody mm-hmm. who like like hunts down truth and you give yourself for a spell zone of truth. <laughs> right, right. The, the, yeah, and that's absolutely. going following that theme right. that he keeps talking about. I always forget that. When you get a access to the two spells that come up on the list. Can you only choose one or do you get both? You get both. You get both. You get, both. You, you you get, get both. access to both of them. Because yeah, I don't play magic users, so I always forget. Uh, yeah. I was going to have you read that, but I decided we've already kind of covered that, so I don't think we need to go into that part. Okay. So, um, and we've also talked a little... So we've kind of already talked a, a little bit about the, the sample oaths that you've created using mm-hmm. this methodology in this, uh, um, this um, supplement. Is there... Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say, do we want to go into a, another one or just push on forward and get to the rest of it? I have I have another subclass that I have been working on. It's not like done, done, but we can talk about it if you'd like. Oh, yeah, that would be thing. awesome. If you've got a, uh, an oath that you've kind of been working on, I'd love to, love to oh, hear about it. Is that a secret project? No, I was just, uh, you know, dinking around with it and, and putting one out. So um, the, the Paladin Oath I'm working on right now is called the Oath of the Veil. And what I wanted to do with... The, the high concept was what what if you're a paladin who wants to die and come back a lot? And the way I kind of themed that was the the followers of the Oath of the Veil are, their tenants are to, you know, make sure that the people who need to die do and the people who need to live do. Uh, and it's kind of, again, themed around fate or deity or, or again, however you want to play it. Um, and then that translates into them needing to be in touch with the veil to know what the veil demands. So I haven't really figured out how it works feature-wise, but 
my thoughts are they're going to have like bonuses to death saves so they can try and die. Uh, they could maybe switch places metaphysically with somebody who's doing death saves. They come back to life and you go into doing death saves as the paladin. Ooh, um, a lot cool. of like life transferring. So I could give, I can heal, but it comes from me. So I'm always kind of like pushing myself or pulling myself, you know, with respects to the veil, either further or closer. Um, so that's kind of like my whole shtick with that guy is it's more about in order to know what the the fate demands, I have to be in touch with fate. And the only way I can get in touch with fate is to go to the veil and come back. Can, can I, awesome. That sounds baller. Can I make a suggestion? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, on our show, we always talk about dms using the hit dies in a better format yeah. i would love to see an ability that transfers hit die from one person to another to allow them to yeah. re- give up their reco- ability to recover to have another person recover yeah heck yeah that sounds exactly in line with <laughs> the theme that i was going for with oath of the veil i feel like hit die get overlooked you know by everybody <laughs> right actually i think this guide one thing i think we can for the most part agree with the paladin is a though somewhat Solid is a somewhat specialized class mm-hmm. in the sense of, okay, yeah, sure, I have some spell casting, but let's face it, I'm built to be a tank and to hit like a truck occasionally. Right. <laughs> but, I can, <laughs> but I can definitely see how this guy can help uh, open up some versatility. Yeah, I agree. And like, let, let's say like somebody like, like comes to the and sometimes goes, you know what? I love paladins, but I'd like to make a dex-based paladin. You know what? Let's make him an archer. Let's go like like the the hunter or the, or the wind, whatever. Oh, that's dope. Just make him use like divine smite with arrows, <laughs> <laughs> which currently is not a viable thing. No, so that would make it very unique. Side note: my inspiration for that is totally Archer from Fate Stay Night. Oh, nice! God, I love that show. I haven't I, seen that. It's good. I love the moment when they were fighting uh, Berserker and Archer just suddenly disappears, and I was like, "Where the crap does this guy go?" Fight for a few minutes, only the we suddenly telepathically, it's like. Yeah, might want to run. <laughs> and they cut to Archer, who's like on the other side of the city with his bow pulled back and the arrow glowing. And he fires nuclear explosion at impact, basically. That's dope. That's how you play a ranger right there. That would be a cool sub-paladin class, just saying. I, I, hey, the ranged sub-paladin oath, uh, I'm, I'm into it. <laughs> I, I See, saw, he likes it. <laughs> I don't know what anime is from, but it's the greatest example I've ever seen of a, uh, a D&D ability where... When someone attacks you, you attack back, kind of kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was a samurai. Is versing this really big. He's got a big old beard and he's huge and he's got a, a cleaver. And he comes down on him. He actually slices off part of his arm, like you can see his muscle. And he's like, "Ha ha, I got you!" And then his arm just kind of falls off. Oh, that's from the one of the um, in the third movies that focused on Guillaume. Is that what that was? Yeah, because it so, so, shows it back in slow motion. And as the guy was coming down, he brought his sword up and sacrificed his arm so that he could. Just cut his arm off. Disarm huh. the guy. It's like, oh, oh god, literally. Oh, oh that um, looks like it hurt so much. <laughs> yeah, that 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 fight was painful to watch. It was awesome. That was painful to watch. All right, um, you've given us a lot of uh, really great insight into this feature. Once again, uh, we want to thank you for walking us through this. Create an oath, Matthew uh, Gravelin. Gravelin, did I mess it up? You got it. You're Never. second guessing yourself. You know you know what's up. Well, it's because most of the time I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, so I kind of got to second guess myself. Um, so. 
We want to thank you for uh, sharing your Create an Oath with us. Like I said, I really thought this was a great tool. Um, I love uh, being able to kind of make and, and give my players kind of power to to uh, create new stuff. Usually I do it more from a flavor standpoint, but mm -hmm. this really jumped out at me and I wanted to share it. So you mentioned you were working on a lot of, uh, of other projects. Is there mm -hmm. a new secret project coming up that you're working on you can give Crit Nation a little taste of? Um. <laughs> I do have a secret project, but I can't tell you about. Uh, the one project that's kind of slowly coming out right now is Humblewood. Um, if you're familiar with the Deck of Many, they do um, kind of D&D supplements in a tarot card pack with booklets. Um, and uh, they recently did a Kickstarter for animated spell cards, Ooh. which was are very, very cool. That is dope. Um, so we created this new setting for Humblewood. Uh, that's compatible, fully compatible with 5e, and the Humblewood is populated with bird folk races. So we created five new uh, bird-inspired races for the Humblewood, um, and we currently have a first to third level adventure that goes along with it, and you can download that for free right now at humblewood.net and check it out. We would love to get feedback on it. Um, and I got to be uh, the lead writer on that project. Uh, I worked with um, the Deck of Many crew and the extremely talented artist, Leisha Hannigan. Um, it's been an absolutely amazing project, and I can't wait to get all that feedback and, and start working on, you know, kind of round two. Nate, <laughs> look at the little owl. <laughs> so I just pulled up uh, pulled up the uh, link you uh -huh. just suggested, and on the very first page is, like, uh -huh. a crow wizard and then a tiny little, like, cute Barn owl. owl dressed in, like, full armor with a sword are, and shield. Are, are you ready? Are you ready for this? It, yes, I'm It's ready. a night owl. Oh, that is awesome! <laughs> that is the dopest thing ever. You guys got to check this out. That's, I'm going to definitely check it out and give my thoughts and opinions that's on hundreds, it. That's hundreds of times better than Obama. <laughs> whoa, 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 motherfucker. Let's not do anything rash. I'm about to about to drop a, the... I don't know what I'm... I'm going to edit you out of the whole show today on this episode, okay? That's oh, what's going to happen. You, you, there's some fighting words. Obama is a great creation. Nobody administers Obamacare better than he does with his little potions, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, kind of a bit of a tangent there. All right, so yeah, so um, <laughs> so uh, that's really awesome. Once again, you guys, uh, there is a link to both uh, Humblewood and to uh, Create an Oath uh, in our show notes. We'll also uh, make sure that there's a link on our post when we share it. Thank you for sharing that with us, uh, Matthew, and... What an amazing job. You, I'm looking forward to checking out all your other work now. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, Barbarians and Warlocks are out right now also. Um, they're all pay what you want. And I started working on monks. Monks are weird. They're, yeah, they if are. Paladins, if paladins are standardized, monks have nothing. Like, monk subclasses have nothing in common with each other. Um, um, even, look, look at Elementalist. Like, that was just like, nah, he's a caster instead. So <laughs> I'm just like, oh, okay, well... There's nothing to look at here. It's just a completely different class. Uh, side note, how about, like, for your example, we do the, the elemental monk so he doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> I like the elemental monk. It's not I, powerful, fair, but can do I might cool stuff. put monks up on the shelf for a little bit and look into the other classes because I've been working on monks for, like, two weeks now, and I don't have anything. See, I, have I feel nothing. like that's what that's the discussion at the round table at Watsy every single week. Like, all right, guys, we got to reshelf the monks. We ain't making yeah, no progress. Yeah, we do with this. <laughs> yeah. So. Get, or actually, my favorite character, one of my favorite characters I played in 4E was a fire monk. Mm -hmm. And we don't have anything like that anymore. It was great. It was fun. All right. So um, 
that'll do it for our main topic today. Before we move on to our fourth and final segment, we have one more gift to give away, compliments of Lore Smith. Each episode, we will draw another lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness, compliments of Lore Smith. Lawsmith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that pushed them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one that you don't want to miss. Brandon, who's the winner today? C.S. Perry, 24. Uh, congratulations, C. Perry24. If you enjoy the adventure, please uh, head on over <laughs> to Laura Smith and let him know. Leave him a review. Let him know what you like, what you didn't like, and help him improve his products moving forward. Uh, <laughs> By rip- the way, you may have rolled a 20 on Alabama, but you totally rolled a 1 on Whippin' <laughs> Fuck you. I hate you sometimes. Um, like, he doesn't deny it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was in my proudest moment. So, uh, a, listener su- a listener submitted a, a, a character concept or some shit with, I didn't have a name. There was no name attached to it. So, I had to give it a name. And it was all built around using, like, a rapier and a whip, right? With dual wield or some shit. And so, I called it the whip and nene, and they fucking won't let it go. <laughs> and the my, the uh, listener didn't let go either. Yeah. All right, so our fourth and final segment is our Unearth Tips and Tricks, where we bring you new and reusable content, for, or new and creative content for you to bring with you on your next adventure. Our first UTT is our character concept. Okay. I do, actually, I do have to uh, take off a little bit early if you okay. guys are no, cool no, that's with fine. that, but I All right, well, really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for joining us. You have a blessed day, and guys, make sure to check out his product, okay? Yep. Thanks, guys. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. So our character concept of the day, kind of following our paladin theme, is the atoning scars. Uh, in this, we talked a lot earlier about uh, tenets of a paladin and, and how um, you need to repent in order to, to uh, regain or prevent yourself from losing your, your features. Um, there are many characters in many, uh, in movies that we've seen before that do similar things where, like, uh, in order to repent, they do a physical damage to their body. Uh, the most most common one would be the Nightcrawler, right? Right. Nightcrawler. That's an example. You know, when he does something bad, he, you know, he cuts himself. So when everyone sees him, he has these very intricate bodily scars all around him that actually don't look terrible. They almost, no. mm. they almost look like a, like a, like a glyph or something, don't they? Artistic. Yeah. Actually, scarification tattoos are totally a thing. Yeah, it's a thing now. I didn't know that. And I heard, I heard it's very painful. <laughs> well, I imagine cutting yourself would be. Not that we're condoning cutting yourself is okay. That is no. bad. Don't do that. This is a game. Make believe. Um, and so, every time, uh, anytime you're this this character, probably a paladin or a cleric who turns away from his deity or something. Uh, ends up doing something that goes against their their traditional beliefs for whatever reason. Maybe they have a good reason against it. They have to repent to ensure that they still follow their deity, that they still you know follow their oaths, and this is their way to kind of make up for it. And the more um, chaotic I think you make your character, where they're willing to fight and, and, and break some of those things in certain circumstances, this can make an interesting character concept. Can you guys think of any other characters who have done something similar in any movies or anything? Talking about the guy from Doom? Yeah, the guy from Doom is a good example. Yeah. Would you like to tell us about that? Yeah, sure. There, there's a member of the uh, 
uh, Marines who, I'm not sure if he's a zealot or not, but whenever he takes the Lord's name in vain to him, uh, he carves crosses in his body. Like he does in the movie, they're being all quiet, and he drops a barrel. He's like, oh, god damn it. And he just, without even hesitation, he turns around, grabs the blade from his pants, brings up his uh, sleeve, and just... And then the girl looks at him like, the fuck are you doing? He's like, I took his name in vain. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, I think this is an interesting uh, character concept. A little bit dark, but I think this could go really well. What if uh, it's a warlock, right? And they're he, goth paladins, we or cleric. No, warlocks are goth clerics. We all know it. <laughs> so maybe that's something that he has to do um, when he does something that his uh, if he's close to his um, the pact. Um, what do they call it? His patron. Patron. Yeah. If he's close to his patron, where when he does something his patron doesn't approve of, you know, maybe makes a little bit of you know scars or something. You mentioned Kill- Killmonger does the, something similar, I think, but his reasonings are different. Every time he kills somebody, yeah, he keeps it's all. He kind of looks like scales when he's done. Do you know how I got these scars? I no. killed an entire village. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that'll do it for our character concept: atoning scars. Did they fight back? Nope. Ian, would you like to tell us about our monster variant today? I would love to. Our monster variant of the day is the half-troll. We start with the half-ogre, but you know what? As cool as half-ogres are, we decided to up it to 11. And... <laughs> I'm sorry, half-troll. It's like the thing you come across the bridge and like, paint it all. Can I paint a different way? <laughs> <laughs> well, because we he's part troll, we can't give him regeneration. Oh, God. He, get, he regains 3 HP to start of his turn, and if he takes Esther fire damage, it doesn't kick in. And he only dies if he starts with 0 HP and does not regenerate. Good luck keeping that guy down. And we also gave him Stomp. Not not like the band, just in the building. <laughs> Jeez. As a bonus action, you give the half-troll the Stomp action. And the target must be smaller than itself and prone. Basically, it's just an additional hit. Yeah, as a bonus action, you can stomp yep. on somebody that's laying on the ground. Stomp! So, what do you guys think about this? Because we all, we all talk about fighting trolls and stuff. Trolls are hard to, to, to deal with in, in and of themselves. Yep. Uh, but a creature that's half a troll uh, might not be as recognizable, and hopefully character players won't metagame right immediately to... Um, that's assuming you're oh, dumb enough to bird. tell them they're half troll. Well, yeah, I wouldn't tell them they're half troll. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, no, I mean, if they got the tusk, they might just assume it's half ogre. Right. There you go. So, and that could be that could be a thing. I mean, or they may assume it's an orc. There you or go. Or that. Yeah. So there's there's a depending on how you describe this as a DM, this could be a really good thing that catches them off guard uh, because they're not oh, wait. gonna half ogres are half orc. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, they are. That's funny. I don't know why I didn't catch that. Um, this is a really simple <laughs> one. This is actually a big bad that's going to be part of um, a battle that I'm having with the the kids at the church. Yep. Um, this is the big bad. He's only like a, he's a low CR. They're they're all level one, so or level two or something like that. And only half is annoying on, on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is a really simple <laughs> build. But I thought it needed a little more oomph. Um, so I'm going to do a lot of shoving to knock them the players down and then stomp on them because I think that's awesome. And kicking a player while they're down is just my kind of thing. So, it's a really simple one. I hope you guys like it. That is our monster variant, the half troll. <laughs> he just comes out with his catchphrase. I'm going to curb stomp your ass. <laughs> it's like a puppy kicking humor. It can be hilarious, but you have to do it right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't know that I agree with that, but okay. Hensi, you have to do it right. <laughs> 
So our encounter of the podcast is comes from 100 Monster Hunts. You'll find the link in the show notes. Um, this is an awesome uh, DM supplement. Uh, it com- contains 100 Monster Hunts. And I wanted to share another one from it called Mossman. Our recent expedition to the southern jungle uncovered a strange rust-like substance, which has since entirely covered the southern outpost. A sickness fell across the camp. And soon the dead outnumbered the living, though they haven't stayed dead. Anyone wanting more information can contact Arella Marlis at the East Watch Outpost. And then it's broken down into a segment that gives you the quest details. It says, the southern outpost has been overtaken by veggie uh, veggie pygmies. Veggie pygmies. (laughs) Which are creatures from Volo's Guide. Um, Arella will request that the party... Head into the now overrun outpost and eliminate the pygmies they find so the guards of the East Watch outpost can move into re resecure the area. The southern outpost will be filled with russet mold uh, as well, which which has spread through the buildings and on any metal objects the party may come across. The pygmies will aggressively defend their new territory and attack the party en masse if they are seen. So this is really interesting because it's the the real focus is the spreading of this 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 stuff that appears to bring stuff back to life, um, and using creatures from the Volo's Guide is a nice little touch. The veggie uh, pygmies. Oh great! I'm pitching the, the clickers from The Last of Us. <laughs> Tate, what was the black stuff between elephant toes? Slow pygmies. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. They weren't fast enough. Um, so this is really cool because I like that it's it's a spreading sickness that kills them and then reanimates them. But it isn't really sound like it's anything that is caused by, like, a bad guy or anything like that. There's no real villain here, right? This is just a natural occurrence of, of, of nature monster things. You know what I mean? And that really kind of sets it apart. I also like the idea of the sickness spreading beyond where the players contain it. And then coming back to that area later and finding out the whole area is overrun because they failed to properly contain it. <laughs> like I said, this is totally the clickers from The Last of Us. From what? The, the clickers from The Last of Us. I don't know what that is. Basically, they were zombies in The Last of Us game, but they were but they spread by spores. Oh. And mushrooms grew out of them. That's dope. So I know the spores, I don't know what clickers are. Are they spore carriers? Yeah. Oh. And the, and the other gimmick, too, is of right on site, they were on like a location. And sound. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That game sucks because you chuck up once you're done. <laughs> yeah, Dark Souls is worse. <laughs> um. Anyways, because it doesn't have a major villain, it can be something the players you just drop in when the players are traveling or something. You know, you can change the you can change the name of the the watch and everything like that, the outpost, and and fit it into your adventure. But what, once again, I think the most out of this would be if the players fail to contain it properly. That if they leave and pass back through this and find out everything is covered, and that they failed in their job, and having a good opportunity for repercussions for them doing a shitty job. <laughs> so Ariella, that big guy seemed to lose interest in what you told him what the job was. Why was that? Well, he asked if there was goblins there, but. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast. Next, we have our magic item from patron Sambridge. This week's magic item comes from patron Sambridge. It's the burning great axe, plus one, very rare, and requires attunement. It is also cursed. Mm. Wah, wah. 
This rune-covered axe is black with dull red runes adorning the head and metal shaft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we both had that. Yeah, that's great. This is a sentient weapon, see, and communicates with ideas and emotions directly with the user. While holding this weapon unsheathed, you suffer 1d4 fire damage per minute. Do axes have sheaths? No. Do axes have sheaths? Not really. Hey, Sam, yeah. I found a flaw in your design already. <laughs> oh, they, they... I mean, you can make can? one, I guess. Huh? I mean, you, you can make one. I mean, you go out I and think maybe, buy a, you maybe buy when it's not drawn. I mean, combat. when you go out and buy a hatchet... I guess it does have a sheath, doesn't it? Or an axe, it does have a leather I just cover. Never invent- it's more of a cover. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yes. Okay, sorry. Sorry we hung up a little <laughs> mo- too much on that part. <laughs> Each time you attack with this weapon, you suffer 1d6 fire damage. On a hit, add 1d6 fire damage to the enemy. You may request aid from the axe to defeat your enemies. You may add additional d6s up to your counter of fire damage to both the self-inflicted damage and the enemy's damage. Keep a counter and increase it by one for each time you request aid. If the axe damage causes the wielder to die, the wielder is raised from the dead as an agent of the axe. <laughs> what? Why was that funny? You your act you die from your own weapon? Oh, yeah, that is pretty bad. <laughs> your hair turns black and your eyes turn black with red runes etched in the same pattern as the axe. Your life force is now bound to the weapon. You no longer take any damage from the weapon as it's as stated above. At the point of death, the aid counter locked. You may call for aid in an attack, but in doing so will cause you to lose a death saving throw. On a long rest, roll a con save with a DC of 22 to recover one death saving throw. Son of a... <laughs> wow. That is not a small number. No, it's not. Um, so... I realize one of is cursed. So, so I think the goal of this weapon is to kill you, and then it really just kind of changes your character a little bit. Um, I don't think this is... I don't know that this is an enemy meant, uh, weapon meant to be used by players, but maybe a weapon used by enemies. And instead of fighting the same villain over and over, you're fighting this Ooh. terrible axe that's controlling people. Or maybe you kill an enemy with this, and you think it's just a cool axe, and you pick it up. There you go, and now you're screwed. It's pretty much a parasite. It travels around the world as people die. Yeah. Um. What's really interesting, <laughs> though, is um. so the the counter thing, it took me a while to kind of figure it out, but I think the counter is every time you ask it to support you, it makes it do more damage, but then it also does more damage to you. So you can increase your damage at risk to yourself. Um. And I think that's interesting. The other thing is cool is uh, if you're like a, a character that has resistance to fire, like a tiefling. Like, I think a tiefling would benefit more safely from this than... Yeah. Say uh, another person uh, or another another non fire related. Uh, One uh, red dra- dragonborn also have have that. Yeah, about? red. Dra- yep, yeah. you're right. Red dragonborn too as well. Um, but what's interesting is the weapon is locked. So the longer you survive, and the stronger this weapon becomes. So the stronger the person is that picks it up and uses it, the longer before it loses its lock. So as the players scale and level, the, in this weapon that they're constantly fighting with a new wielder all the time gets stronger and stronger. And I think that is hilarious. <laughs> and I think this would be a great weapon to base a campaign around. Right? Like, um, yep. you find out the big bad isn't actually in control. You, always, you start running into these people that all have this um, black hair and their eyes turning black with little red runes etched into it. 
and you maybe for a while the it take might take the players a little while to figure out that it, they're fighting the, the 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 sentient weapon is what they're fighting, not you know. To keep this brief, this made me think of a post I saw. I'm on the D and D group groups on Facebook, and a guy was talking about how his uh they probably got into a fight. His character got killed, and as far as everybody knew, he just walked around with, with a magic sword, and the wizard walked up and, and, and picked it up. But then the player who died like, so DM, can I do it? Well, you built this part of your background, so go ahead. And it was like, wait, what do you mean, background? DM, roll save. He failed. That character was not actually the meat suit. It was the sword. Oh, that is dope. So he possessed the other player's body. That's so cool. So that kind of fits the same kind of narrative, right? I'm in charge now, sucker! I do like uh, this one, though, because mm-hmm. the players could really get confused thinking that they're cult members. Yeah. Just because of the, the black hair and the black eyes with mm-hmm. the runes. Right. And not and assume there's take, the axes it, doing Yeah, it could take a while before they figure out that the weapon is actually what they're after, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. Um, all right, I think that'll do it for our magic item, the Burning Great Axe. Thank you, Sam, for your submission. Ooh, or it could be a really twisted version of the, the Judd Pirate Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to watch that movie again. It's good. I tried to get Alicia to watch it. She's like, this is stupid. I was what? Like, You're stupid. What? <laughs> you know, I had two coworkers who s- said they did not watch The Princess Bride. Next day, I-, I walked in. Okay, which one of you is borrowing this first? <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually own it. I probably should. It's really great. Um, our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is... The DM tip comes from Jeremy Crawford. And it, it is to... Stop rolling the Montus Initiative. Now, this actually does make sense. I agree. Because inside the DMG, there is a tip where instead of just rolling all the monsters uh, initiative, just add a 10 to it. Yeah. From their stat block. Just just go with that. Yeah, add a 10 plus their decks, right? It speeds things up. Less bookkeeping. Yeah, mm. and, and honestly, if you have a lot of monsters, that's a good thing to do. Yep. Um, Jeremy Crawford actually pointed out that Wizards of the Coast even considered adding a base initiative score uh, into the monster manual for this very purpose. It may not seem like a big deal, but if you've got, you know, five, six different monsters, the amount of time you spend rolling, there's a reason why I do it in advance. I do it before I even, like, when I re- record my games and stuff, I roll all the monsters event and I just write it down. And my pirate still goes first. Fuck. <laughs> um, this actually is a great time saver, and for and really, it also makes sure that you got a nice even uh, turn, and that not all the players always go first. Though then some players might have a problem with that. Well, then roll better. But this is real. This is actually a really great tip. I really like this. I recommend anything that causes is less work for me. So I got enough shit to deal with. I don't care when they go. So. Um, I think this is a great tip. Thank you, Jeremy Crawford. Uh, that'll do it for our DM tip. Stop rolling monsters initiative. Our player tip of the podcast is... Don't be a dick. And you, and you can avoid dickitude by making sure you pay attention to your arcane studies. Master that meta magic. The twin spell specifically. The twin spell really lets you do some stuff that no other class can do. It's powerful. It's versatile. The twin spell of his biggest benefit is letting you break the concentration limit. Some players and DMs don't understand, know this. Right. I mean, twin spell basically lets you use a spell that affects one creature, but lets you do it on two. Yes. Which (laughs) also includes things that require concentration. Normally, you can only concentrate on one thing. Right. But Jeremy Crawford has said, when you cast a spell and twin it, you're casting the same spell. You're just extending its reach, basically. That two dudes that one. Yeah, so it still counts as one concentration. And so I got to use this to great 
benefit uh, recently in the Patreon game that I'm a part of for uh, Inter-Party Conflict, where I played a Divine Sorcerer, and I got access to, like, I had the Haste spell, and I had some healing spells, and I had some buff spells. Crowd control abilities. Big one? Okay, Haste. I got to put Haste on two players at once. That is powerful as hell. Ooh, put it on the monk. Oh, uh, I didn't have a monk, but yeah, no. I went on the two melee classes. But um, I mean, when you can cast this on the the on both fighters, that's that's huge. That yes, they're gonna get the 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 exhaustion uh, bull crap at the end, but in the middle of combat, that's a huge savings. And mm-hmm. what about healing spells? Yep, two for the price of one. Hell yes, that instantly makes any heal spell a kind of small Better. AOE, right? Yep. Um, what are some other advantages you guys can think to twinning, uh, spells? Like, you charm two people. You can charm people. Hold person. Yeah. Those sorts of effects. That's normally limited to one action at a time. You can double your efficiency. Significantly increasing the chance that its spell is not wasted. Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's nothing worse than casting hold person or charm person and they fucking resist it, right? But you increase your chances significantly if you target two foes. Ooh. Can you twin fireball? No, no, because you can't can't twin anything that can target more than one creature. Ah, ooh, twin uh, Tasha City of Laughter. That's another good one. <laughs> Once again, twin disintegrate. Usually, <laughs> that's probably see, and, and that's what the happened. Thing, though. That's the most common use of it. People people often think that the sorcerer is meant to push out more damage when in fact they have just as much versatility as a utility support character as they do as an offensive caster because yep. I, I would i would agree that disintegrates probably like one of the number one types of things that you're going to do with it well can't can you blame anybody <laughs> no i can't but there's so many other things you can do you know using double casting stone skin for support you know yeah and, and, and giving temp hps to multiple players i mean there's it's a powerful uh, ability. Um, it's great for, you know, uh, debuffing and controlling your enemies. I mean, there's so much use that can go into besides just disintegrating shit. <laughs> twin banish. Oh, shit. So when you twin a spell, <laughs> does that cause you to use a second spell slot? Nope. nope. So it's just still that one? Yep. yep. And the second twin spell is just as strong as the first one? Yep. Yes. He but just, it just has to target something else. He just... Uh, oh. Yeah, so I just had like a certain amount of magic points. You just spun those instead. Yep. <laughs> uh, and it's pretty good. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Um, I think it's based on the spell level, though, right? Like, uh, wow. to a degree. Yeah. Like, in some uh, cases, level two is two sorcery points or whatever. But um, but in either case, this can make your your sorcerer so much more versatile. And so consider that if you consider that when you're picking your sorcerer and your 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 magical abilities, it oh doesn't gosh. have to be about blowing shit up, though it can be. I just briefly envisioned like either that one SMR that can uh, for its racial ability basically go Super Saiyan. Yes, which is awesome, by the way. Uh, basically, do take that uh, race, do that, but then play him as a sorcerer, and when you cast like a uh, Thunderbolt, yell Kamehameha. <laughs> I've done that with a uh, <laughs> with a um the quick uh quick um quicken magic. Yeah, where I I I basically call the energy building up. So normally I shoot a little, you know, a quick blast. Yeah. But then I, if I was gonna twin or not twin it, but um, or twin it or a uh, quick and magic, uh, it, I would, you know, charge up my little thing and then shoot two, but it would just be one big beam, is how I would describe it. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> uh, anyways. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't be a dick, and you can avoid dickitude by focusing on your arcane studies. Master that twin spell meta magic, baby. 
Um, before we close out our show, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of Jeff Stevens. This episode is brought to you by Jeff Stevens. In a small village, you find a single child who explains to you that all of the villagers, including his family, have entered a Jester's pageant wagon and never came out. What madness could the adventurers face? Can they save the villagers? Or will they go mad trying? Can you survive the madhouse of Tasha's kiss? Head on over to greatacademy.com slash jeff-stevens to get your copy today. And today, our winner from our prize for Jeff Stevens is, is the Amorous Poet 81. Congratulations, Amorous Poet 81. We hope you enjoyed your adventure. If you did, please let Jeff Stevens know, leave him a review, let him know what you like, what you didn't like, and help him improve his products moving forward. That'll do it for our show today. Um, I don't know what episode is supposed to come after this. I think it's going to be Stronghold, so I'm going to put that in here for now. I don't know. But I, I had some mix-up because some cancellations of some people that were on the schedule. If you have any feedback on our tips and tricks or topics you'd like us to discuss, please send them to us. You can email them to us at critacademy at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at Crit Academy. We hope you've enjoyed your experience here at Crit Academy. If you did, you can help others find the show by leaving a, hopefully, five-star review on iTunes or your platform of choice. Or you can just send us a message telling us how much you enjoy the show. Also, be sure to give us a like and a share. Um, if you'd like to support our show, we do have a Patreon page. You can head on over to CritiAcademy.com and click on the Patreon link. Um, or you can pick up some of our merchandise. Or the biggest way to support the show, if you don't want to become a patron, pick up our Honor Tips and Tricks book. Um, you can find it right on our. Uh, you can find it at DM's Guild, or there's a link right on our. Uh, fa- or, blah, blah, blah. There's a link right on our website at CritiAcademy.com. Got a lot of things on sale, stranger. <laughs> Brandon also does commissions, right? <laughs> yes, I do. You do full body and shoulder line art, right? They can find uh, prices and uh, samples over at our Facebook page. While you're at our website, make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com. That way we can help you on your future adventures, as well as you will be entered to win uh, those cool prizes that we give away every single week. We give away three products. You'll also be able to find links to our fellowship members there as well. Uh, we have a new Crit Nation fellowship member. Um, it is the Brute Force and Ignorance D&D Actual Play Podcast. Um, our buddy uh, Dan West and Jacob do an amazing job running this. Um, I, it, it, it's really great. Uh, Jake Harmon and his four warriors are summoned to the city of Nolrock. A small group of islands added to the world of Faerun and are tasked with finding a missing prince. Vampires, alternate dimensions, and brave gnome with a sad story. Epic sea battles, dirty humor, magic items, and political intrigue. You can find this all on Brute Force and Ignorance. We'll have a link, and uh, we'll have a link from our website. So check them out. <laughs> as well as you can check out uh, check out Interparty Conflict. Gabe and Jeff do an amazing job with their awesome answering of your questions, bringing you the best table talk experience possible. And you can check out D and D Character Lab. Two real life bards battling their characters against each other for your enjoyment. <laughs> I am your host Justin. I am your co-host Brandon. I am your co-host Ian. Thanks for listening. Keep your blade sharp and spells prepared, heroes.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.